You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Oh man, how many of you would love some advice for your love life in this place? All right, that's what I'm talking about. So we're starting a brand new series called Song of Solomon, right? Just practical advice for your love life. Now, let me tell you who this series is not for. This series is not for anyone who thinks they're going to take all of these messages in this series home to their spouse and tell them that Pastor Dustin said all this stuff that they need to start doing. This series is not for you, right? Don't don't name drop me when you're talking to your spouse about what the Bible says, right? Let me tell you who this series is for. Anyone who can humble themselves enough to say, man, I have some improvements to make in my relationship. I know that I can do better, not on my own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can be a better spouse, or I can be a better boyfriend or girlfriend, or I can be a better single person waiting for the moment that God sends me someone. Now, how many single people do we have in this place? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, cool. There is some stuff for you in this series. And I want you to just to, to receive this in a way that this is preparing you for when you do get in a relationship. We're going to be in the book of Song of Solomon, obviously. We're going we're gonna to start in chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this verse by verse. So we're going to read all of chapter 1 and a few verses of chapter 2. So there's a lot of, lot of Scripture today. But we're going to go through this, not quickly, because I think there's a lot we need to get through it, but we're going to go through this in a way that we can really pull different things from these verses. And what we're going to look at today, because I believe that this is where it all starts, is we're going to look at what a godly man looks like in the context of relationship, and then what a godly woman looks like in the context of relationship. Now, I have a confession to make. I've never been a woman. So, there's, I, I have more points for a godly man because I've lived that, right? I know what that looks like. But I will say this about a woman. We're going to take it straight from Scripture. I ran these points by Ashley, and she approved. So I think we're good with that. But also, I helped create two of these little girls that I'm trying to raise up to be godly women. And I've been studying one for the last 13 years. And I'm going to continue to study and study and study. So that gives me a little bit of, of power to talk about that, but not as much as a man. So men, you guys, you're getting a lot of points today. There's eight characteristics of a godly man I want to point out, and then we're going to go to a godly woman. But let's jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1, says the Song of Songs, which is Solomon. So what this is, is this is King Solomon, and this, this woman who we're singing, these little poems back and forth to each other. That's what this whole book is. Some people think that this is just allegorical and it's it's God's relationship to His church and that makes sense until we get to like one of the chapters and they're on their honeymoon and then it gets a little weird if you want to talk about God in the church. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So we're going to go through this literally because I believe it's rich for us to really pull some things out of here to be better men and better women in the context 
of relationships. We're going to see in this that the woman talks 53% of the time. The man talks 39% of the time. That's just how it goes, right? That's just life. It's just it's the, the friends speak up a couple times, and God speaks up one time, and it is on the honeymoon, and that's going to be my favorite week. Praise God for that. Verse 2 says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. We see right here from the beginning, it's not an offense-defense type thing. She invites him to lead and to kiss, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Here's the point, number one, for a godly man, is that he is chasing Jesus. We see when she says that um, your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is oil poured out. What this really meant in the Hebrew was purified oil. And the only way for us to be purified is to receive the purification of Jesus. So more than anything else, the number one characteristic of a godly man is that he is following Jesus. You can't be a godly person unless you have God in your life. So the first point for you guys in this room is that you need to be chasing Jesus. And then she says, therefore virgins love you, and that just means that the, the young girls, her friends, love her. And point number two is this, he is reputable. He is reputable. When people say his name, there is a good reaction to that. Now, there are some guys who don't have a good reputation. I want to just think about this for a minute. This girl meets this guy, and she's like, I can't believe it. I got his number. We're texting. She's so excited. She goes and talks to her friends, and she says, hey, so I met this guy. He's amazing. He's cute. He texts me. He's really sweet, and they're so excited. And then she says his name, and they're like, oh, no. Like, do you know who you are dating? And she's like, not really. And they're like, well, we have a small group at church just for the damage that this guy has caused. So you may need to just go ahead and join this small group. There are some people with a bad reputation and godly men, they are not that way. Godly men have a good reputation. So single guys, listen to me. You are looking for a wife, not a girlfriend. God's, God's design is not for you to be a serial dater. It's not some speed dating thing in life. No, God's design is for you to court someone, is to pursue someone for marriage, not just to have a girlfriend. You need to have a good reputation if you really want to have a relationship that honors God. It's a process, man. It's not a status on social media. It's a process of pursuing someone that God has given you. Verse 4 says, draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his son. And this is just saying that they're attracted to one another and attraction does matter. And then our friends speak up. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love or the wine. Rightly do they love you. We'll get into that when we talk about the woman. And then she speaks again. I am very dark but lovely O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tent of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. Pretty much saying she has a farmer's tan. We'll talk about that. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. 
Tell me you who my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. So why should I be like one who tells herself beside the flock, your companion? This is what's happening. She's pretty much trying to set up a date. She's like, hey, so I have some 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 animals here. I have some flocks and I need I need somewhere to go. I hear that you're here at noon. And he's like, yeah, I'm here at noon. Why don't you come? So they're setting up a date. It is okay for you to set up dates. Actually, I would encourage you guys to set up dates. Right? I, I was horrible at this when I was dating. I never, never, ever set up dates. It was just like, hey, you want to meet me here? Cool, this is going to be awesome. Right? That's not, that's not how it should be. You should pursue in a way that you're actually showing that you care about her. Then we see this in verse 8. If you do not know, our most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pass to your young goats inside the sepulchre. You say, yes, I'll be at Starbucks at 12. You can come and hang out. Verse 9, I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, before you go home and call your wife a horse, let me tell you what this means, right? Because I would not recommend that you do that. We were going to the beach last year, and there was this really pretty house, and Ashley was like, man, that house is beautiful. And I'm like, baby, you're as beautiful as a house. And she was like, do what? So sometimes it slips, and I get it. But you should probably never say you are as, as beautiful as a mare. Right? That's just, it doesn't work. Like, man, you're as pretty as sea biscuit, baby. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. That's not what this means. What this means is so Pharaoh thought that he was so important that there was this spotless, huge white horse that would lead him into town and people would be like, oh man, here comes the most valuable person around. So number three is this, he values her. That's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I value you. You are so important. That you are like the mare that leads Pharaoh, not that you are a horse. We just have to be really, really, really clear about that. This is the fundamental question that women, they won't answer in their life. Most of the time is, am I valuable? And we have the opportunity as men to echo the value that God sees in her. Because God says that you are valuable. And we have the responsibility and the opportunity to echo that to our significant other to say, you know what, you are valuable. You are the most valuable thing to me. You need to become a student of her. You should be able to meet her needs and her wants before she even asks. Now, I know that it can be difficult sometimes to know what she wants and what she needs. I know that it's sometimes it's like spinning a wheel in the morning and like, please land on happy. Please land on happy. And it doesn't always land on happy. Like, I get it. She wants it to land on happy too, right? Everybody wants happy. It just doesn't always work that way. But man, we should show how much she is valued to us. There should be nothing more valuable besides our relationship. The unexpressed value is worth it. You can't just say that you value her without expressing that you value her. And some guys, man, and I do some, some counseling sometimes, and guys are like, well, I told her on our wedding day that I loved her. Like, I don't know why she doesn't believe us. Like, dude, that was 10 years ago, man. Like, you kind of, you should step it up. It's like, well, I provide for her, put a roof over her eye, 
blah, 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 whatever. It's like, man, possums do that. Possums feed their family and put a roof over their family's head. Like, what are you doing to show value for your lady? What are you doing? Verse 10 says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks with strings of jewels. Number four, he speaks kindness. He's specifically looking at this girl and he's saying that you are lovely. And over and over and over, he speaks words of kindness to her. I can't, besides being a Jesus follower, this may be the most important one. Because words can kill. And some of you, you have killed your relationship by the words that you have said to your significant other. Are you speaking kindness to your wife, to your girlfriend, to women in general? How is your verbiage to them? We see that he speaks kindness over and over and over. And Scripture teaches us that out of the overflow of the heart, speak all of these words. Proverbs says you can either bring something to life with your words, or you can kill it. And again, some of you have put to death your relationship because of the words that you have said. You need to give compliments to your wife. Now, you look fine is not a compliment. Unless you change the syllables and it's like, you look fine. Like, that's different. But if your wife comes out from getting ready and says, how do I look? And you say late. That is not a compliment. Like, late is not an answer. Like, are you speaking kindly to your lady? Let me, let me give you three words that are going to be the, the most life-giving words that you can say. And some of you need to do this as soon as this message is over. I am sorry. I am sorry. Because some of you have spoke such harsh words to your wife, to your girlfriend, to your significant other, that you just need to be the lead repenter and lead confessor and say, I am sorry, and commit to begin to speak kindly to her. Verse 11 says, We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. This is number five. Godly characteristics of a man is he will pursue her. He's got his workers over here making her gifts. He's pursuing her. Now, for you who are dating, you need to pursue with the mindset of marriage. For those of you who are single, you need to pursue Jesus until someone comes along. And for those of you who are married, you are not off the hook with this. Pursuit doesn't stop once you get married. You continue to pursue. You pursue, you pursue, you pursue. Single men, don't be lazy. Get off the Xbox and pursue your girlfriend. There's a book, Five Love Languages, right? And it, it, the premise of the book is we have love tanks, they need to be full. And our love language is different. And the, the five that are mentioned in this book is gifts, acts of service, physical touch, words of affirmation, and quality time. The goal is not to get your love tank full, but to fill the love tank of your significant other, of your spouse. I have two. Physical touch and words of affirmation. 
that's me again, like, so maybe three, right? So those are my, that's my love language. So Ashley can fill my love tank by coming up to me, telling me how amazing I am, and start, like, make out with me. That's perfect. I'm up to the top. Now, I could go into her, tell her how amazing she is, and try to start making out with her, and she's like, whoa, Scooter, you need to back up a little bit. Like, it's like, well, I love you. I'm trying to fill your love tank. She's like, well, do some dishes, right? Because her love language is different. Hers is acts of service and quality time. So if I can sit down for an hour and watch a show with her, it fills her love tank. But what we do is we try to speak our love language to our significant other, hoping that their love tank gets full, and that's not how it works. We have to get to a point where we know what fills the love tank of our spouse, and we should do everything in our power to fill that love tank. We should be pursuing her. Verse 12 says, While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth his fragrance. That's a weird verse. He's daydreaming about this guy. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms and the vineyards of Engedi. Now, this is important. This isn't one of the points, but Engedi is really important in this because what Engedi is, it's, a, it's an oasis in the desert. This is where King David, when he was on the run from Saul, he went to Engedi to get some rest and some restoration. So, so what this is, is she's saying that that's what this guy is for her. He is rest for her. He is peace for her. Men, are you creating an environment in your home where she feels that peace? Are you creating a type of environment where she feels comfort and she feels rest and she feels restoration? Our job is to create this kind of engetti for our ladies. Verse 15 says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are dumb. He focuses on her eyes. He does not treat her like a commodity. I want you to listen to this. She is not a commodity for you to use and abuse and throw away. That is not what it's for. He is focusing directly in her eyes. Up to this point, right? they're just dating. They're just kind of getting to know each other. Now there's attraction and it will lead, it will lead to sexual things after they're married because that's the way that God designed I'm I grew up Southern Baptist, right? Head, shoulders, knees and toes, just on. They skip they skip all this, right? We're gonna see in a couple weeks that this is where the good stuff happens. After you get married, right? For you that are dating, not married, it's head, shoulders, knees and toes. Just remember that. Like that's that's how it goes. If you don't know the song, look it up. It's on YouTube. But just because you put a ring on it doesn't make her a justified prostitute for you. Your wife is not a commodity. Your wife is to be valued. Your wife is to be loved. You care about who she is, not just what she can do or the things that she can do. Because verse 16, Behold, you're beautiful my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, they're outside, of picnic, and the beams of our house are cedar, our rafters are pine. Chapter 2, verse 1. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of 
the valley. Listen, this is number six. He cultivates. If you go back to the farmer's hand verse, which we're going to look at again when we talk about her characteristics, but she's saying, hey, don't look on me because of, of all this stuff. And I, I'm not really, I don't really love this stuff about me. And then after spending time with him, and because he's speaking life into her, and because he's telling her how valuable she is, and because of the way that he is treating her, she says this, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valley. So she was a little embarrassed and now she is confident because he has continuously spoken life and kindness and love into her. He's cultivating a relationship where she feels valued, where she feels important, where she feels beautiful. Are you cultivating that type of relationship? Verse 2 as a lily among brambles, so is my love among Number seven is that he is consistently speaking life. It's a big red flag for you women, right? I'm going to give you a red flag. If you're with someone who, who cuts with words and then comes back and says, sorry, it just slipped. And then they cut with words and they come back and say, sorry, it just slipped. No, a godly man is consistently speaking life. And, and I, I want you to know that you are valuable enough that he should be speaking life. And that it should be consistent, consistent, consistent. And I hope and pray that that's happening in your relationship. Verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Here's the final one for men. He is safety for her. Two things she says. There's provision, the fruit, and there's protection, there's shade. You should create an environment, men, in your house where your wife feels safe. Not just from the bad guys, right? Like, yes, we're going to protect her from, from the mean, evil boys in the world. And there are some of them. Like, there's nobody that's going to treat my wife like poop in front of me without me jumping in and laying hands on them. Right? It's just how it is, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Because she's valuable and she's worth it. But here's the bigger question. Does she feel safe from you? Does she feel safe from you? What kind of environment? have you created in your life? Are you providing the safety in your home where she doesn't have to walk on eggshells around you? Where she's not scared of saying the wrong thing to you or in front of you? A godly man is a safe man. Again, I would challenge you to say, hey, I am so. To be the lead repenter and the lead confession. You pray for God to change you from the inside out to become a godly man in the context of relationship. Alright, that's men. We're coming back to you at the end. Women, you ain't off the hook. You ain't off the hook. We're going to go back to verse 2 of chapter 1. It says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Again, not offense, defense. It's not like he's trying to... to kissed her and she's like, hey, she's in prevent defense. She's like, this ain't happening. No. She invites him to leave. Number one is this. 
for women. She she encourages them. Wife, are you your biggest husband? Are you your husband's biggest cheerleader? Or, you know, the opposite of encouragement is nagging. And there's a lot of verses about a nagging wife in Scripture. I don't know if you knew that. I'm just going to read one. Proverbs 27. It's not going to be on the screen, so you're just going to have to listen. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome or nagging wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Listen, this is what it's saying. Some countries use drip, drip, drip as torture. Like to, to soften hardened criminals to give up secrets, they just drip on their forehead, drip, drip. And over time, they're like, "This, I can't do it anymore. And they give up secrets. That's what it, living with a nagging wife is like, is what they're saying here. Now, I'm not saying that there's not reasons for you, woman, to, to get on your husband. Like, there's plenty. We, we ain't the smartest people, right? And we don't think through things all the time. I get it. But she encourages him to lead. She says, kiss me. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She is inviting him to lead, which is the way that Scripture has set up the relationship. Right? Is that in Ephesians 5, we see that the husband leads his home. And it's the, got the bad word in Ephesians 5, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands, and everybody's like, submit, I'm not doing that. And this is, this is what it means to submit. It means to give him the opportunity to lead. But the verse before that says, husband and wife be mutually submitted with each other under God. It means putting someone else's interests above your own. Encouraging him to be who God has called him to be. And this is, this is just how guys are, man. Guys, they want to be respected as the leader. And God has designed us to lead. Some of us are going to lead well, and some of us are going to lead really bad, but we're going to lead one way or the other. And we see that a, a godly woman, in the context of relationships, she is encouraged. Firstly, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his life. We will extol and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine, rightly do they love you. This is her friends talking. This is number two. She has godly friends. Who are you hanging out with the most? Are you hanging out with people who are who are more worried about themselves, what what you think about them? Or are you surrounding yourself, women, with other godly women who will tell you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear? And I love that. Ashley hangs out with, with godly women. I don't know what they do, what they talk about. It's kind of like, man, she comes home. I think it's like marriage boot camp or something, like wife boot. I don't know what it is, but she, I'm like, yeah, go hang out with those Christian women. They're like, they're awesome for you. But man, this is what happens a lot of times is we get in these groups and we begin to gossip about other women, about other guys about whatever instead of building each other up and this is what I would this is what I would encourage instead of getting in a group and gossiping I would suggest that we get in a group and gospel one another to be the women that God has called you to be.
finding some women who are going to point you to Jesus and that you can help point to Jesus so that you can be the woman that God has called you to be. And if you're you're like, man, I'm not real good at making friends. Guys are different. We can walk up to a guy and say, hey, man, um, I don't know who you are, but do you like to hunt? Nope. All right. You like to bowl? Nope. You like to fish? Yep. Cool. Meet you at the dock. We're friends. Right? That's how it works. Women are like, well, I'm just going to wait around. I don't really know. And that's how it goes, right? Join a group. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to like everybody in your group. You're going to have at least one weird person in your group that you're not going to be friends with. And if you're in a group and you don't have a weird person, I have bad news for you. In verse 5, she says this, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. Here's number three, that she is humble. She's saying, this is, this is what happened. Back in the day, the, the standard of beauty was the more pale you were, the more pasty you were, the more beautiful you were. And that's completely changed now, right? We got spray tans and tanning beds and all this kind of stuff. But back then, the more money and more status you had, you didn't have to do work. So you wouldn't get in the sun, so you would be more pale and you'd be more pasty, and that would that was kind of the standard of beauty. And what she's saying here is that her brothers made her do work outside, so she had this farmer's tan type thing. She's saying, hey, the exterior is not the most important thing. I may not be much to look at, but I'm confident in who I am. See, but what the enemy does is the enemy will take a humble person and he will turn that into insecurity. And that's not what she's saying. She's saying, hey, so it's not about how I look. Don't look on me like that, but I'm a confident person. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Don't think that you, you aren't worth it. You're not valuable. You just think of yourself less because you care more about other people. So my, my mother's sons were angry with me. Those are her brothers. They made me keeper of the vineyard. But my own vineyard, I have not kept. Here's number four. A godly woman is hardworking. We see that she, she was hardworking. She kept up the vineyards and not even her own. She kept up other people's vineyard. And a godly woman is a hardworking woman, and especially if you're married to a guy like me, you've got to be hardworking because it's a lot of work. And then you throw kids in, and like Ashley's taking care of three kids and me. And man, I can't imagine what that's like. But you can ask her, and I'm sure she's got a lot of, she can explain it well. Verse 7, tell me, you who my soul loves where you pass your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. So why should I be like one who tells herself beside the flock of your companion? Here's number five. She is holy. Now listen, I, I need to I need to give you some context about this. But but back in this time, prostitutes would go and they would veil themselves and they would just sit and wait. And she's saying, I, I'm gonna. I, I'm going to come and I'm going to hang out with you, but I'm not lowering my standards for you. 
I'm not going to be like one of these women who, who lower their standards and they offer their, their bodies and, and they act like prostitutes. She says, no, I'm not going to be that way. I'm not lowering my standards because I know how valuable I am. Man, if you're a single woman in this place right now, I want you to know that you should never, ever, ever lower your standards for any guy that walks the face of this earth. God has called you His and beautiful. And that's the standard. Don't lower your standard for anybody Verse 8, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock. Pastor your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Again, don't call her a horse. Your cheeks are lovely with ornament. Your neck with strings of gold. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth his fragrance. He's daydreaming. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved to me is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. So, men, I talked to you about how are you creating an Engedi. So, wife, woman, same question for you. How are you creating an Engedi for your When he walks in from work, right? So here's a good question. How do you greet him? You get to greet him multiple times a day. How do you do it? Do you say, man, you're lovely, I love you? Or you say, hey, so I know you just worked all day, but you were supposed to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's just like, drip, 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 drip. Are you, are you cultivating yourself? Are you creating an environment of peace for him? Does he feel competent to lead at home? Some of you, some of your husbands, they go to work every day. They sit in meetings where people ask him his opinion. Or he tells people, this is how something's going to go. And they say, yep, this is what we're doing. And then he gets home and you're like, I don't care what you say. Like, how does he feel? Does he feel competent to lead at home? Are you creating this in Getty for him? Husband, you still have to do your part. And you still have to create an Getty for her. This is both working together to create a peaceful environment. Verse 15, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are dark. Again, he's focusing on the eyes. Not a commodity. Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. My south is in dreams of a house of cedar, my rafters of pine. This is number six. She is grateful. She's grateful and content with where she is. See, she's not comparing her date site to any other date site. She says, hey, we're outside. This is a picnic. Here's some pillars. There's some cedar out here. This is, this is great. She's grateful for what she has. She's content with what she has. So here we have eight characteristics and there's a ton more of a godly man in the context of relationship. We have six characteristics for a godly woman in the context of relationship. And these have to work together. That as men, we're trying to lead as men 
We're trying to be the men that God has called us to be, not for our benefit, no, because we want to glorify God and we want to honor and love and value our wives. And for wives, you you are becoming a godly woman in the context of relationships. Not for yourself, but to glorify God and to show your husband that he's capable to lead, to encourage him to lead, hardworking, you're humble, you don't lower your standards whatsoever, you're valuable. I want to read just kind of a a prayer over over you. But if you're a man in this place, 1 Corinthians 16 says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. The world has tried to define what a man is and what a woman is. But man, we don't we don't listen to what the world says, right? We listen to what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that first of all, godly men are chasing after Jesus. That godly men do all these things in the, in the light of being a follower of Jesus. So if you're a man in this room and you say, man, I want to be that kind of man. I want to be a godly man that glorifies God and that shows my wife, my girlfriend, my future wife, whoever it may be, that she's valuable, that she's lovely, that she's beautiful, then I just want you to stand up right where you are. Join me. I'm going to stand with you here. If you want to be that kind of man, Now you would think because I wrote these characteristics from here that man I got all this down. And I'm here to tell you that I'm still working on all eight of them. And I've said these words more this week than I've said in a long time, but I am sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't lived up to the man that God has called me to be for you. If we want to see a city change, if we want to see a world change, it starts with you. Every single one of you that are standing up, it starts with you being the man that God has called you to be. So men of impact, it's time we shift what it means to be a man. It's time we passionately love Jesus, pursue our wives, and provide for our family. I don't want to beat you up in this moment. No, I want to unleash you to be the man that God has called you. The gospel demands it. Our family needs it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't need more of us. We need more of us. Women, I'm going to ask you to stand and maybe, maybe your husband's here. If he is, I would ask you to stand with him. If he's not, I would just ask you to stand if you're single. But I want you to know this, woman. Daughter of the Most High. Is that you will no longer be defined by what the world says you have to be. You are valuable, therefore you should be treated as valuable. You are precious, therefore you should be honored. 
You are worth waiting for. And you are worth pursuing. And in this world, the only thing you should be concerned about is what God has created you to be. And that's exactly what we need you. And it's going to take every single person in this room working together to be who God has called you to be. To change the city, community, and the world with the gospel of Jesus. So my prayer for you is that you become the, the man and the husband that God has called you to be. And that you become the woman and the wife. God has called you to be. And as we respond this morning, and some of you husbands, you need to bring your wife down here and you need to pray. You need to say, I'm sorry. And you need to show her that you are the lead repenter and the lead confessor. And you need to commit that you're going to speak kindly, that you're going to encourage, that you're going to value. Maybe for some of you women, you just need to put your hand on his shoulder and just say, I love you. I know you ain't going down there, but I'm encouraging you anyway to be the man that God's called you to be. And that you want to commit to be the woman that God has called you to be. And I know how hard it is to be in a relationship and to try to honor Jesus as we navigate all the different aspects of being married or dating or whatever it may be. We're going to talk about those things in, in this series. It starts with you committing to be the man that God has called you to be. And the woman that God has called you to be. As we respond, man, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to bring your wife down to this altar to make a commitment in this moment that your marriage is going to be different from this day forward. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.